There is no better time than the present to explore the lucrative commercial real estate offerings from Reef. Visit rreaf.com backslash investor. Featured on Fox News, Wall Street Journal, Yahoo Finance, and many more. We're not a crowdfunding site. We own and operate all our properties. Come see why thousands of individual investors have decided to trust Reef with their real estate investments. Call us today with any questions. Hedge market volatility with Reef. Open to accredited investors only. Visit rreaf.com backslash investor. Well, the rise of $1 million one-person businesses in the past five years is the biggest trend in employment today, offering the widest range of people the most ways to earn a living while having the lifestyles they want. It's exciting. It's a whole revolution going on, and um, I'm excited because it's out on the forefront. Elaine Pofelt knows all about it. She's a contributing writer for Forbes.com and a contributing editor to Crane's New York Business, and she's joining us on Big Blend Radio's Happy Hour Show to talk about the solo entrepreneurial insights in her insightful and inspiring new book. It's called The Million Dollar One-Person Business, Make Great Money, Work the Way You Like, Have the Life You Want. I like it. It is an awesome book. I spent a couple nights. I just, I had to, I just ate it up, like just reading it. And um, it's, like I said, it's very insightful, uh, but very practical. You walk away from it going, whether you're someone looking at getting into business or already in business, if you're already in business, you're going to find tools and tips and just a different thought pattern probably. And if you're new to a business, this is going to get you started and get you thinking on how to do it correctly. So anyway, the Million Dollar One Person Business is on Amazon, but you can go to the website. It's themilliondollaronepersonbusiness.com. Welcome, Elaine. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Lisa and Nancy. I really appreciate it. I, um, I'm so happy to be here and, and speak with you and your audience. Well, we're excited because I think, you know, Nancy and I have always kind of done our own thing. So we're kind of a two-person business. And mm-hmm. um, actually, in, in your book, some of the entrepreneurs that you interviewed, which you, you've got over 40 entrepreneurs inside the book. Um, and it was so great to have their insight. Um, for us, like, we always think, like, are other people like us, you know? And then if you need to work with someone, you contract out or, you know, someone else has got, hey, a virtual assistant business. And, you know, you seem to, we seem to work better that way. And mm-hmm. But we all kind of feel, like, isolated in a way. It doesn't seem like it's – I know you write about this a lot, and, and I'm excited that you do. I think you're the only person I know that actually is really focusing on solopreneur businesses. Um, do you think it's kind of un, untapped, this subject? I do, Lisa. What's so funny, I, I've been writing about entrepreneurship for many years, and I always found – that the business media focused on scalable entrepreneurs, the mm. next Mark Zuckerberg or the next founder of Snapchat, and, mm-hmm. and the one-person businesses who make up the vast majority of small businesses get ignored. And in fact, they're almost told that they're doing the wrong thing by remaining a one-person business or a partnership like you guys. I, I think um, one of the things that is worth noting is, the U.S. Census Bureau keeps track of one-person businesses and partnerships. So it puts them under one rubric. They're called non-employer businesses, and those are mm. businesses that are staffed by the owners only, so they don't have any other W-2 employees. And they, they're, they're considered a group um, 
one thing that really excited me when I came across it in my reporting was the growth of high-revenue non-employer firms. So in 2015, this is the most recent year available, there were 35,584 non-employer firms, so businesses like yours and Nancy's size or solo entrepreneurs that were bringing in $1 million to $2.49 million in annual revenue. And that number is up since 2011 by 33%. Wow. Every single year that I've tracked this, it's been growing. And one thing that's driving it is the availability of free and low-cost technologies that anyone can use to build a strong presence, no matter how small their business is. And it, 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 it is truly a revolution. It is because we've never had this power in our hands as one-person businesses and partnerships before. And the other thing, too, is that we've got all these tools, and online tools, and people doing side businesses, and you talk about running a lean business. I think about every entrepreneur that you interviewed in your book talks about running a lean business, and it's like working smart, not hard. Of course, there's those moments. We know about the, you know, 48 hours, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially being in the media mm-hmm. and, and publishing <laughs> time. It's like the coffee pot never stops. And then after yeah. that, thank God for wine. But, <laughs> but, but when you look at these kind of businesses, I wonder if it's because people are able to work from home and able to do these side. They're able to, if they're going to open a business, even while they're working, have that side business. It has to be something that they can manage both things without losing family time and and things like that. Lisa, I think you're right that people really value their lifestyle today. I think we went through the ages of the um, like the yuppie, for instance, you know, where it was mm. sort of a status symbol to work 80 hours a week and, mm. and be a company person. But I think that has lost its luster, and people realize we have one go around on earth and we have only so much time we don't know how much time it is not to be morbid but we want to enjoy it and we want to Mm -hmm. spend it with the people that we love doing things we find meaningful and work can bring us meaning but work isn't the only thing that brings us meaning life is very rich so I think people are saying you know what I'm taking a stand in favor of protecting my personal time but I still need to make a good living I mean the cost of living is not getting any lower in fact I think relative to people's income, it's gotten higher than in the past. So people have this reality. They can't just quit and go live in a yurt somewhere. They have to make a living. And so they're looking at, okay, so how do I do this and be present for the people in my life? How do I do this and still be a volunteer in my community? How do I do this and engage in my passion for mountain biking or music or volunteering? And because of all of these tools, they're able to start a business on the side or as their full-time gig at a very low cost relative to what it used to cost to go into business. Well, yeah, I mean, just the fact that you don't have to have a building, you know, just for your business. I mean, we've done all sorts. We've had um, office space that cost us, and um, it brought us nothing but distractions. Yeah, and and we were like, okay, we thought that was a business thing to do. Go out, get a building, and um, you know, sit in there and and do your work. And then we had people walk in, and we we're like, why are we having people walk in? Did we don't have that <laughs> kind of business? And then we realized, well, they're coming in and chatting. We were in a little small mountain town, 
and people come in, look around just to see who are you guys and what do you do here, drink coffee, have a little chat with their buddies and leave. And we would sit there like we just lost an hour, you know, and, and an, hour's a, an hour is valuable to us. Oh, you yeah. can do a lot in an hour when you're a small business owner. And, yeah. and, and I think people don't necessarily need to come into your business to work with you successfully. Think about all the video chat programs that mm-hmm. are out there now where you can really have a face-to-face relationship with people. I don't have anything against breaking bread with clients or having a cup of coffee with them. I really enjoy that personally. I think mm-hmm. sometimes when you're in a one-person business or a partnership there's a danger of isolation. So I think it's right. good to just reconnect in person, but it doesn't have to be in a storefront unless you're running a store or right. unless you're running a restaurant. And and so I think that's very freeing for people. And it does free you from the responsibilities of, of being a, a building owner, like talking to the guy or gal who does your landscaping about what right. bushes you want to put in and that sort of thing, which can be very time-consuming and distracting or, you know, dealing with the HVAC system or whatever it may be. Those things are a distraction when you're running mm. a very lean business. I think sure. this is going to – I mean, it's – it's a revolutionary movement happening, but I think it's going to change systems that are there. These, it's like going from dirty coal to clean energy. <laughs> Just yeah, saying. That's a good <laughs> you analogy. Know? Well, I think that it is. It's like we're looking at, okay, how much, you know, do you need to drive everywhere? You know, how many, how much commuting people do that is, mm-hmm. you know, talk about wasted hours and irritation with that and, you know, the, the pollution of it. I'm just saying, you know, there's these things, these old school ways of working versus, hey, you could, you know, I, I, I have clients that have, you know, taken their walk-in closet and made it into an office, you know, there and people that I know that are, you know, one-person businesses, they don't care that they're working off their kitchen table. They're pretty proud about it, actually. Like once they've, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and they've made that commitment to what they're going to do, there's this, this like charge like a rhino forward mentality. But I think it's going to change things and hopefully help in some of the places where we almost get penalized. And it's like in health insurance, you know, in, in, insurance even for mm-hmm. now with even there's insurance issues on where we used to be able to write things off for working from home. Now they're kind of looking at it differently. So I think in a way that the more of us out there, the better programs we can have or it opens the door to other one business, <laughs> one person businesses to create a new program. I think you're right. They're, they're great. They're very symbiotic. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm supported by one-person businesses. I support other ones. And I think there is a real community. And we haven't been noticed before. But I think we're starting to be noticed mm-hmm. because of the critical mass. We're seeing predictions of more than 40% of the workforce doing some type of contingent work now from various sources. And there's going to come a point where there are so many people doing contingent work that it will be impossible to ignore us. And then some of the big pain points out there, like you mentioned healthcare. I have mm. bought healthcare in New Jersey and I don't know what the prices are in every single state, but I know we have mm-hmm. paid as much as our mortgage just for the premiums. Yep. It shouldn't be. It just no, shouldn't, it shouldn't be. And that's not even including out of pocket because it prevents people who would otherwise be in business from from thriving and and running their businesses? It's it's just it's too big a benchmark for a lot of people to bear the first year in business, 
And mm-hmm. even, you know, with the Affordable Care Act, I think that did give people some security in terms of knowing that they could get some insurance. A lot of people wound up right. buying high deductible plans where they really couldn't afford to get any of the care, even though they had coverage in case of a catastrophe, they just for the day-to-day care to pay the out-of-pocket to a doctor was too much for them. And I've interviewed a number of people in that situation, people who were even, you know, 50 years old and older who had some chronic health conditions and and weren't getting treated. And that Mm -hmm. it, it shouldn't be that way. But I think because of the invisibility of the whole freelance economy to politicians, it's been ignored somewhat. But I, I think eventually there's just going to be enough of us that, that it will be impossible to ignore people and, and we'll be treated as, as equal members of society. I think you're really right there you think because about it, think about what you pay in taxes, right? You might, I know. I, you know, people, people in small businesses often pay very high taxes. So mm-hmm. why, for instance, should somebody who, pays into the system, but their contract job that pays most of their income dries up. Why don't they get unemployment, but their neighbor next door in a W-2 job who mm-hmm. works the same number of hours does? I mean, I, it just seems like there's an inequality there. And as more people are in that situation of being a contractor, either by choice or because that's the direction employers are going, then that's going to have to be fixed because you're going to have too many people who are vulnerable to complete economic instability. And I mean, we have to create our own stability, which leads me to why I wrote the book. Hmm. I didn't see any of these things being addressed. And I've been in business 10 years myself. My husband and I have four children. And for most of the 10 years, we were both freelancers in New Jersey, which is a very high cost state. And I realized we have to build our own safety net and it has right. to be a safety net that covers insurance. It has to be a safety net that covers the possibility that some of our clients might not pay us on time and we need a certain cash flow to maintain a household. It has to cover the fact that work can dry up suddenly and, and you can't, you can't, you can work above capacity to give yourself insurance, but there's only so much you can do. I mean, you yep. can't work a hundred hours a week to give yourself that insurance. So how do you build it? You have to earn more. And, you know, and so in this book, I looked at how. You know, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I think that you're right there. I think that the more that artificial intelligence takes over and robots take over more jobs, I think you're going to see more and more people end up running their own businesses just out of what else are they going to do, you know? And when when that starts shifting more and more in the future, I think – you'll have a bigger base of, of entrepreneurs that are going to be saying to the government, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I, when we lived in, again, a small mountain town, there was a lot of wildfires for a period of time. And a lot of people lost their homes, and, and they were our clients. Oh. And we all lost income, and it was really interesting that, the store owner could go and get money from the government, but we couldn't. We weren't even considered a business. There was this cross the board, well, where's your storefront? So if you didn't have a restaurant, hotel, or a storefront, you were automatically not a business. And, oh, man, that made us angry. And it was really interesting how that worked. Mm. You, you weren't even part of a group. You were just nothing, you know, and I think that that will change because as like w- the more automated society gets, what are people going to end up doing 
for work. The only way to move forward in life, I believe, is to have your own responsibility. Like to really, that that is your safety net. Is you cannot rely on anybody else but yourself, and you can you have more creative control. And I, in your book, you talk about the individuals that do this. There's like a different wiring system going on. <laughs> like, like, well, that's interesting. You know, you're you're right. They, it, 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 actually, what I found refreshing was these were everyday people. There were some people that had prestigious business degrees, and there were some people that were completely self-taught. They didn't have any special credentials, but they learned mm-hmm. to look at their business differently, and mm-hmm. that was what gave them some economic security. Um, so some of the things that they did, we were talking about automation. They are very good students of automation, so they would look at how they could free up time for the high-value activities of their business, like forming a marketing strategy or going out and meeting with their biggest clients or coming up with a new product in their R&D, instead of sitting there and manually entering things into their QuickBooks themselves. <laughs> so they would, they, yeah. they would automate things. And, 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 and I, I know you guys do too, things like scheduling apps so that you can share your public schedule with your clients or other people mm-hmm. you make appointments with, and they just go to a link and pick a time that works for them instead of emailing back and forth. I know just in my own business, I save two to three hours a week, every week of the year, using my scheduling app. I use Schedule One. Some people use Calendly. There are a number of, of items like that. There are apps to track your mileage. When you think about it, how many times do you go in the car and you're, you're supposed to write down your auto mileage so that you can deduct that on your taxes, but you forget to do it, and then you don't get the deduction, or you do do it, but it interrupts your train of thought. You're sitting there writing it in a notebook, then you have to enter it, and it's a waste of time. I, I finally added something called Everlance to my phone, mm. and it just automatically tracks it, and then I just swipe one way if it's a personal trip, the other way if it was a business trip. It even tracks chari- like charity trips or medical trips, so if you're doing other deductions, that saves me time. There are so many apps yeah. out there like that. Sometimes you have to pay a little bit for them. Maybe I, I might spend about four or $500 a year all told and all the different ones that I use. But when you think about what your time is worth as the CEO of your own business, even if it's a small business, you're still the CEO. Exactly. You can, you can really do a lot with the time that you get back. And what I suggest to every one-person business or partnership is that if every person in the business sets a goal of freeing up seven hours a week by finding enough apps to free that up, like think about the little time wasters that you hate doing. Try to find Mm -hmm. an app for all of them. It's not that hard to find seven hours worth of time savings, but that's time that you can, you could relax and get some distance on the business. You could spend it on working on your evolving business plan. You could, be experimenting with new types of marketing that might be valuable. You could be getting financial advice from your accountant on how to run the business better and be more profitable. There's so many better things you can do with your time. So that's the first thing is is automation because that doesn't involve the commitment of hiring people, which takes a certain amount of cash flow beyond, Mm. you know, the four or $500. It might even be less for some people because they can use free apps and it really costs nothing except their time and setting it up. But the next step would be looking at contractors. Mm-hmm. So 
we probably all have certain things that it's best that we don't do ourselves. For me, bookkeeping is one of them, and everybody has their thing that they, they don't like to do. They don't have the patience for it. It bores them, or they're not good at it, whatever it is. So think about what's the one thing you would like to offload that someone else can probably do better than you. And it's hard for entrepreneurs to think that way because we all are do-it-yourselfers, especially in a small and scrappy business. It's like, oh, gosh, that's an extra expense. How do I pay a bookkeeper? But you really don't need one for that many hours a year yeah. if you're running a very small business. But to have your books accurate at all times, to know what your financial position is at all times, that's putting you far ahead of where you may be if you're not good at doing it and you put it off. So that can be very valuable. If you just pick one thing this year that you're going to outsource or maybe you get a virtual assistant for two hours a week. Is your money working for you? The best way to hedge volatility and inflation is investing in commercial real estate with Reef. That's rreaf.com backslash investor. Skip the crowdfunding sites and invest directly with Reef. Reef owns and operates each investment, cutting out the middleman and providing investors with exclusive off-market deals. There is no better time than the present to explore our lucrative portfolio of commercial real estate. Open to accredited investors only. Visit rreaf.com backslash investor. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu just to do the menial and tedious things in your business that you don't want to do. There are very specialized virtual assistants. So there can even be, if you have an e-commerce store, there are virtual assistants who specialize in maintaining shopping carts. You know, on the e-commerce, if you ask around in your field, you'd be surprised at how many there actually are. There are virtual assistants who handle marketing-related tasks like maintaining your Facebook advertising. So I would say look for one thing like that or maybe more than one. If the business is starting to really pick up steam, you can look for more than one. And then finally, outsourcing. I found that a number of the entrepreneurs in the book were outsourcing hmm. sometimes to specialized services that do back office support for their industry. So um, one guy who has a $3.5 to $4 million revenue business that he runs from his garage is Harry Ein. And what he sells is swag. So when some company gives you a tote bag with their name on it or a mug or a pen, that's what he sells to corporate clients mm -hmm. and others. And what helped him was there is a company called I Promote You that does back office for his type of business. Because there are actually quite a few swag sellers. <laughs> you would know if you're not in these industries, it's like, wow, there's even a back office company. And um, another another. Um, person in the book who used that approach was Chris Cadigan, who's out on Long Island, and he runs a Unishippers franchise, right? And you mm. think, okay, a franchise, you're not allowed to do things exactly how you want. Well, guess what? He outsourced his back office to a specialized company in that field, and it saved him a lot of time and enabled him to break $1 million in a one-person franchise. And then he liked the company so much that he actually became a partner in it and now provides services to other franchisees doing the same type of thing in addition to his franchise. So, so I would ask around in your industry, the, the other area is e-commerce. In e-commerce, 
a lot of people use Fulfilled by Amazon rather than having the expense and headache of running a warehouse exactly. and packing up the orders. Yeah. Why should you do it? They're so good at it, right? Like Amazon has this down to a science. They're going they're to quick. be better than you. Yeah. It's like they're, what, so what, and it's a trusted source. I know. They're so fast. And if people have a choice of buy through Amazon or buy through someone I never heard of, guess who wins? Yeah. I mean, we, we put Amazon, you know, like when, you know, we put your interview in our magazine, it's going to link to Amazon because people are going to go there and do it because that is, they are so South good at marketing. Or- you know, we, we have a, a client, um, Spontaneous, that's a, a song game, and we've done a number of interviews board with, uh, yeah, the song mm-hmm. game, yeah, it's a board game. It became an Amazon bestseller. I mean, he beat out Monopoly and, and all of these huge games over the wow. years. And he yep. started off, you know, I mean, a young guy going out and I'm going to do this game. And he has, I mean, he took out a loan for a quarter of a million, you know, seriously. (laughs) I know. He did some really bold things, went through a medical issue where he had a tumor on his brain. I mean, everything, everything. And I mean, it's like a, it's like a tough story of like really going for his dream. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, at one point, because, you know, financially he needed to pay his loan, he was based in Austin. He got on a pedicab and started, you know, bike cycling people around Austin, you know, for money. And, and of course, he put Spontaneous on the side. And I can talk about him because we've done a lot of in-depth interviews about how he's done this. And eventually he just, you know, he had a pop-up shops in malls. He did all this stuff. And he realized he was just, you know, selling one by one by one. And he turned around and let Amazon handle all of it, and he says you still have to, like, nag Amazon. Market. There's still some issues mm-hmm. there, but he doesn't have to send him out personally. And, he, I mean, he's worked it for eight years. Now he is number one, yep. and it's just Got from it. allowing Amazon. And I think that is a hard – I think it's easier if you're going into business now versus – like even when Nancy, you and I started the magazine in this country, even mm-hmm. in the past when you were in South Africa with a magazine, it's you as a business owner sometimes become very hands-on. And oh, that, you have to. that is a huge lesson of letting go and mm. having all these tools. You have to switch old school thought patterns off to let these automated tools happen. I've, I've noticed reading your book helped me make some decisions on automation. Uh, some things we've automated, some things, you know, we've worked with people, contracted out, but there were certain things I was like, no, no, no. And then I was like, well, these people are making a lot of money. Let's try it. And it, and it works. <laughs> so it I does work. Yeah, you're, you're so right, Lisa. I, I, think we, we, I think there's a hesitance sometimes when you feel like you have to pay for these services. You think, oh, I could really do it myself. My profits will be a little bit higher. But there's a cost to trying to do all that in that you wear yourself down and you're not – putting your business creativity towards things that will really help you grow not only revenues but profits. And, and, and I think it, it's, you have to let go a little bit, and sometimes things don't work out. I have outsourced things to people that didn't deliver, and it's disappointing and it's frustrating mm-hmm. and stressful, but you have to say, you know what, that can happen in life. Things don't always work so out exactly as planned. So, so what you do is cut your losses early when you start feeling like something isn't working out then pull the plug early. That's what I've learned. Don't let it drag on and on for months. Just realize the person didn't deliver. Okay, they're human. They're fallible. You don't know all the things that are going on. But move on and, and, and try it again because a lot of things can successfully 
be outsourced or, or done in an automated way. I think, though, there is an evolution for people. One, one of the entrepreneurs in the book, um, Matt Friel, he lives in Novi, Michigan. He is a, a video game lover, and he started at a very young age. You know how parents don't want their kids to play video games. This will make you think differently <laughs> about this. But he, he came up with an idea where he would buy up the remainder games at different big box stores when they sort of went out of date and he would sell them online and he wound up, um, he had to have his own warehouse, et cetera. And he, he wound up realizing he was spending the whole day in the car going and buying up these games as the business grew. And instead of running it inefficiently forever, he said, you know what, now is the time to make a change. And so he started finding game distributors he could get them from and that required him to change his business model but the business has continued to grow very quickly because he was willing to course correct he realized like i don't want to spend 12 hours a day in my car this just is not productive Mm. and and he he he, now he in 2016 he was at 3.6 million in annual revenue in a one-person business which is awesome right it's inspiring and don't forget, everybody has expenses too. So when, just for the benefit of people that might be in a corporation and aren't running a business, I, I feel I should say this: when you're running a million-dollar business, you're not taking home one million the way you would. Yeah. You know, it's not like your salary. Taxes are taken out. You, mm. depending on what your expenses are, you could be in the highest tax bracket. And if you have inventory, your expenses might be pretty substantial. So. I would say a lot of the businesses are bringing in profits in the rev- in the area of like two to four hundred thousand, mm. but that's still well above what the median U.S. Yeah. income is. It gives you that security that we were talking about in the beginning to protect yourself from all these things that freelancers are not protected from, and to reinvest in the business and do mm-hmm. fun things and you know try the new things that you were talking about if you if you have no no cushion you can't even do R&D and invent new things or try a new product line or service it's too hard i, I agree and i think the thing too is you know if you're bringing around $200,000 in you know it, you're also looking at the fact that you're in control of your life complete as much as you can be in, in you know the law of the world you know, barring Murphy's Law that it likes to poke its head around. But I always find those things that, you know, if something goes wrong, it leads to something, learning something. There's always a lesson in it. We call it school fees. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's a financial loss or it's, you know, something we really thought something was going to work and then the world said no, you know, but you learn from it. So it it's part of the, the package, but it's something you have the ability to change and rectify and move forward with if you open open up to the lesson. And, and sometimes the lesson comes years later, so that's okay too. But the other thing is you're doing something you like, and one thing I, I noticed about um, all the interviewees that you had inside the book, all the entrepreneurs, is they found what their passion was that they were interested in, and even if it was you know, how to effect, be effective with your time management, the four-hour workday, you know, that kind of thing. So that, that you know, there are things that people may not have thought that they were really interested in as a kid going, hey, I want to be a, you know, a solopreneur and I'm going to sell you know, time management products. You, know, you don't think that, but throughout life you'll start to find either a hole in, in some kind of product or service that isn't you know, something that's not working well that you 
see fit to fix and be the solution to, or there's something you're really passionate about. And I think that's what keeps the entrepreneur system flowing is that passion. It's so interesting because one of the most interesting conversations I had for the book was with David Fairley, a business broker, and he was just making me laugh by telling me about all the different types of Internet stores there are um, and, and how these little niche businesses could be quite lucrative, and not only in terms of the revenue, but something that could be resold later. Hmm. So there were businesses selling things like, this was the list that he gave me, origami material. That's not so odd. It lots of people like origami, but gumballs, sleep masks, <laughs> muck boots. Fairy figurines, decorative mailbox flags, pepper spray, and fireplace screens. The gumball yeah. business actually, when it sold, sold for the in the seven figures. The same with the sleep mask. Oh my god! So, so don't knock anything easy. until you try it. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? That that's what's so great about the internet because maybe you know, like you were saying, you, you were living in a small mountain town. Maybe in the small mountain town, there isn't a community of people who are obsessed with gumballs, right? But around the world, they're probably Yeah, I'd say you're you're getting pretty close there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So so it's like you have this incredible global reach, and if you can figure out the international shipping and things like that, Mm -hmm. sometimes, though, it's a community, right? Some of these businesses were selling informational products, so they might have Mm -hmm. webinars. They might have um, an e-book that they've created, they might have all kinds of informational products that they sell, and there might be people all over the world that are interested in it. And so if you, you, you apply imagination to it, you can probably find some interesting markets for whatever your unique passion is. The, the other thing is you might not need that many people. So one of the things I found was with professional services firms, it's very hard to get to a million dollars trading your hours for dollars, like that hourly yeah. worker mindset does not work because it's it's hard to charge enough per hour. But if you, you're really, really good at something and you're one of the only people that can do it, you can actually. Yeah. You could charge a very high hourly rate or a very high day rate. So I, I just did an interview with Steve King at Emergent Research, and he said that he – and he studies the freelance economy, by the way – he said that what he's seeing is very high-level programmers that serve the Wall Street banks can charge very high hourly rates. So maybe you can charge $1,000 an hour if you're Lawyers a genius can. at what you do. <laughs> yeah. so, Lawyers so, can. Yeah. can. You're right. You're right. And so, so if you are specialized, you put in the time. It doesn't mean you have to have gone to grad school even. You might just be really good at something. You may be able to do that. Or I've seen consultants who – quantify the results they get for their clients. And it's a very good selling point that, you know, I've helped my clients grow their revenues by X amount. And so that's why I charge $25,000 for a day of my time. And if you're, if that $25,000 relative to the millions of dollars they added in revenue or profits is a drop in the bucket, it might be a bargain to them. So I, I, I would encourage people to really, if you truly excel in what you do, think about creative pricing models because that's another way where you're not working crazy hours, but you're getting paid based on the value that you provide. Because some people really provide a lot of value, and it's and it's it's not that hard to quantify. Right on, right, right on. We we are at that time. We have to play happy hour. Are you ready? It's time. 
Okay, Elaine, if you could spend happy hour with one person, who would it be? Where are you going to spend happy hour? What are you going to drink? And what are you going to talk about? Wow. Well, I love literature. That's my escape from work. (laughs) And I I would love to sit down at happy hour with Amos Oz, the author of The Black Box, and a number of other novels that I've really enjoyed. I just love the way his mind works. He's a genius at writing and at fiction writing and nonfiction. And I, I would just love to ask him about the thinking behind his books and what his next work will be. Um, that would be a lot of fun. I have never been to Paris, so I would have to pick a cafe in Paris. <laughs> if I was in Paris, I, would, I think maybe a glass of red wine. Nice. Go. Sounds good. Yeah. Elaine, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Great, great information for everybody uh, looking at starting or if you're in a business now, it's, it's just that re, that change your mindset thing that I think is so interesting and how to have that lean business and just that, you know, using the lean business model and creativity as just two main lessons that I learned from your book. Everyone, again, it's by Elaine Pofelt and it is the million dollar one person business. Make great money, work the way you like, have the life you want. And of course, it's on Amazon because Amazon is the book place and <laughs> other things. Uh, but go to her website because you'll see some of the entrepreneurs featured in the book on her website, and she's got a nice video on there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, go on the website. It's themilliondollaronepersonbusiness.com. Thank you so much, Elaine. It's been truly a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Lisa and Nancy. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed the wonderful questions that you asked. It was so much fun. Well, thank you for thank a you. fantastic book. Everyone yeah. needs to go get it. It's like it is really. It's we call these books Bibles. Um, reality it's got check. nothing to do with religion, <laughs> but it's when a, when something has everything you need in it. Um, it's it's that book. So, um, everyone, go get it. So, thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Is your money working for you? The best way to hedge volatility and inflation is investing in commercial real estate with Reef. That's rreaf.com backslash investor. Skip the crowdfunding sites and invest directly with Reef. Reef owns and operates each investment, cutting out the middleman and providing investors with exclusive off-market deals. There is no better time than the present to explore our lucrative portfolio of commercial real estate. Open to accredited investors only. Visit rreaf.com backslash investor.